the tea health show your medical lifestyle podcast brought to you by the tea clinic good morning i'm dr mark this is for tea health show in studio today i have sister elise van arten our producer simpiwe morning girls good morning morning Okay, so we were supposed to talk about sleep and um, our expert guest, Dr. Alison Bentley, called me this morning and she has taken ill. So, Sissy, Lisa and I have thought it uh, prudent to actually talk about something that she and I deal with every single day in our office, and that is sexual dysfunction in women. So, Simpiwe, what do you think about sexual dysfunction in women? Is it a term that you know or that you are familiar with? Um, no, I think I would genuinely associate that with men um, because there's been so much, um, I don't know, advertising about like uh, sexual... Uh, Aids and stuff. Yes, for like men's health and stuff like that. Um, you know what? I, I think... You know, but when we hear about sexual dysfunction, automatically we think about being an erectile dysfunction. I totally agree with some people on this. It is not something talked about by women, actually. Um, I think women are being told or are being taught to not mention any of these things. Some, I, I'm going to ask a question. Mm-hmm. So, for women, mm-hmm. if sex is, let's say, uncomfortable mm-hmm. from a physical perspective, do you not think that that causes sexual dysfunction or that is sexual dysfunction? No. And I, I, I'll why, tell you why, why. Why would you say that? Because, well, from, I think, talks and just society, it's like it takes so long for a woman to get revved up that like maybe this one time, you know, you weren't fully charged or he didn't do a good job. So most of the time you tend to not think this is a serious issue. It was just, oh, this is just... But if it's so? I guess this is just how it is then. See, you know what this for me is actually so concerning. What you've just said... um, but we I, had I find worrisome. earlier on, already in one of our talks, that remember, sexual functioning, not only orgasm, is a learned experience for a woman. Mm. Okay. So, you know what, Elise, one of, the <clears throat> one of the topics that we'll be discussing a little bit later called vaginism, mm-hmm. which is spasm of the muscles in the pelvic area. Okay cause such severe pain that women physically cannot manage penetration. And, you know, if you don't want to call that sexual dysfunction, I don't know what sexual dysfunction is. I think um, the idea... That's physical sexual dysfunction. Yeah, but it's sexual dysfunction. It's like a guy not being able to get a Uh hard-on. He's got sexual dysfunction. The symptom is erectile dysfunction. But the, <coughs> I beg your pardon, the overlying condition is that of he's not functioning sexually because the organ is not working. Same with women. 
but you know what, this is something that I, I find concerning because sexual dysfunction in women, there's so many contributing factors, whether it being physical, emotional, uh, psychological, um, all account for sex not being a pleasurable experience. And it's never been addressed. It's almost as if I'm reading between the lines of what you are saying, sex is a chore that I as a woman have to perform. Or it's an obligation almost. This is what I'm I'm getting from what Simperia says. I think so, to to some extent. I like, like there's a running joke between like my friends and I that like, oh, like our moms got pregnant from boring sex. It wasn't something exciting. It wasn't something um, that I think they looked at in terms of, oh, this should be an experience that we both partake in and we both are involved in. So I think that's one of the things about it is that um, women have been groomed into, yeah, it's you know, a, it is it's a, a chore. chore. Yes. yes, and if you women do it... Women were never allowed in... Society to enjoy sex. sex. Yes, and so if you get it done, you get it done. It doesn't mm. matter what that looks and like. And if you do enjoy sex and you talk about it, you are seen as a loose woman. Yes, 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 yes. The maquapeni, you know. <laughs> <laughs> maquapeni. What does it mean? Um, the side chick. That's basically yeah what it means. Ah. Yes. Okay. No, we men can go out and have the one night stands and, and it continue. It not an eyebrow is lifting about that. Women are not allowed to do that. You know what? I remember the talk that we did many, uh, many. Uh, well, it was almost what <coughs> two years ago, at least a year ago. I would say closer to two years ago, Elise. Um, the sexual revolution. Yeah. Um, which we are absolute advocates of, um, especially when it comes to women. Um, embrace your sexuality, etc., etc. Okay, so let's let's hone in a little bit on sexual dysfunction. Um, what are your thoughts on sexual dysfunction, Elise? I think people will be shocked when they know what is the incidence of sexual dysfunction among in, women. In specifically women? In women, yeah. It's about, it affects about 43% of women in the world. Sure. Sexual dysfunction. Um, so what is classified as sexual dysfunction? Oh, that makes this number so big. Uh, part of it is the hyperactive sexual desire disorder. Now, that is a uh, um, recognized this is low medical, libido. Yeah, medical condition. Hyposexuality, uh, sexual desire, desire disorder. disorder. And 30% of sexual dysfunction in women, approximately, is um, attributed to hyposexual desire disorder. So do you remember, Elise, you were already, uh, you've already joined the practice. Um, <clears throat> in 2019, no. You haven't joined the practice. You joined the practice um, a couple of months later. So, Simpiwi, in, in 2019, it was in November, mm -hmm. um, there was an article published specifically on this hypersexual desire disorder um, and the treatment of hypersexual desire disorder. And then 
um, as is now, the best treatment for this was testosterone. Hmm. Now, back then, very few women knew that they actually had testosterone. Testosterone was considered a male hormone. Women knew about estrogen and progesterone, but they didn't know about testosterone. And well, I little, be, little bit of people knew about testosterone. And I went on to uh, a program uh, that I do, Real Health, which is on the home channel. And I spoke about this. It was in the January of 2020. And I spoke about the treatment of hypersexual desire disorder with testosterone. And immediately we were inundated with inquiries, et cetera, et cetera. So I understand that hypersexual desire disorder makes up the bulk. And you know what, Elise, we can go in and we can explore what are the causes of of this? But you know what? What makes up the other thirteen percent? Pain well, conditions, probably well, number th- one. Physiological pain uh, conditions, psychological conditions, interrelationship issues, um, and then also society, cultural stuff that makes up the rest of the. It. You know what? When you say cultural stuff, simply, mm-hmm. do you remember the the program that we had? Or, or the episode that we did on uh, sexual perceptions in different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had Alice um, in and who did we had Dante in as well. Yeah. So we had a gay man, a black religious woman, um, Elise, who's the master of all things oh, yes. um, <laughs> sexual, um, yourself and myself in that program. And it was extraordinary how sexual perceptions in different cultures and then in the religious um, uh, belief systems differ from one another. And breaking out of that mold um, was such a big taboo. So sexual perception obviously plays a role. But Elise, um, how about the pain conditions? Yeah, I mean, which ones? Which ones comes to mind for you? I, I, I have two immediately in my mind because I'm talking about one tomorrow morning for doctors and and treatment of this condition. Yeah, well, you mentioned vaginismus, which is the contraction of the vaginal or the pelvic floor muscles. It's it's pelvic floor, but you know what? It also affects the uh, the anal sphincter. It affects the bladder sphincters. It can affect. Um, the that's why that, muscle. That's why I'm saying pelvic floor because that sort of a hammock that yeah, 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 yeah. encompasses all those structures. Yeah. And then the other one is urogenital health. I want to call it that in the sense of dryness, um, infections in that area. Molluscum. What's that, Dr. Mark? Molluscum contagiosum is that plaque formation. Uh, What's the other one? Lincoln sclerosis. sclerosis, where you literally have these, it almost looks like sores mm. uh, on, on the mucosa. It's, it's raw. Um, the other thing is herpes. Herpes So infections. that's the infections. Yeah. 
Okay. How about chronic pelvic pain? Um, things like endometriosis. Absolutely. Um, myomas. Uh, myomas. Do you know what a myoma is? No, sir. Okay. So think your uterus mm -hmm. is basically this balloon muscle of structure. thick muscle. And sometimes we have growth within that, that muscle, and we call them myomas. What's the difference between a myoma and a fibroma? No, I don't know. I think it's basically the same. I also think it's no. basically the same. So do you know what endometriosis is? Well, I do know it has to do something with your periods and it being extremely painful. Um, and um, yeah, that's like what I do understand, like the basis of it, or maybe like that's kind of like the first symptom of it to kind of look into um, that you might have. Sister Elise, um, endometriosis, do you want to give yes. us a little bit more of an explanation? So endometriosis is actually, it, the word explains if you know the anatomy of the uterus. Can I do the anatomy and then you explain? Cool. Okay. So your your uterus is made up of different layers. You have a muscular layer on mm -hmm. the outside. And on the inside, you have a glandular uh, tissue, if I can call it that. Um, it's called the endometrium. And it reacts to hormonal influences, estrogen, and it is uh, as estrogen climbs and fluctuates through your menstrual cycle, the endometrium starts to thicken, okay? But in preparation for implantation, if there's a fertilized egg, which happens in the fallopian tube. Mm -hmm. And then that egg comes down, but it needs somewhere that it can go and sit. Mm -hmm. And it sits like on the endometrium. Like a area. Yeah. And progesterone which is the other hormone that, that uh, regulates our periods, is responsible for the breakdown of this. So um, your endometrium, the inner lining of your uterus, which gets bigger and smaller with your cycle. Okay, so during <coughs> menstruation, that inner layer breaks down and we menstruate, okay? We bleed for four or five days then. But something goes wrong. And they've never figured out why endometriosis happens. So what is happening now is part of that inner lining that should be excreted from your body goes through your fallopian tubes and it goes and attaches itself either on the ovaries or inside the pelvic area. So this and can be on the bladder, this can be on the rectum, this can, can be, be on some of the bowel. The bowel, etc. And then um, during your cycle, those areas or that sits and grow then on, on those um, places that they attach itself. Then during menstruation, you menstruate within your abdomen and that's where the pain comes from. And that's very debilitating for women that has this condition. Okay. Um, would, we, would we classify polycystic ovarian Absolutely. disease also as a chronic pain condition? Absolutely. For if you think about an ovary, normally the size is how big? Two by four centimeters? Yeah, maybe. If that. if that. And if you have lots of cysts, which is follicles, egg follicles that hasn't sort of burst and released the eggs, 
the ovary blows up and sometimes it's as big as a tennis ball in that small containment area in the mm. pelvic floor. So any penetration, anything like that will be very painful for this woman during intercourse because it's like you're moving this balls, I want to call it two tennis balls, around in the pelvic area. Yeah, exactly. Actually, let's just take a guy and let's poke his balls. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's that same kind sure. of pain. Yeah. <coughs> so, yes, PCOS is definitely also a reason for um, female sexual disorders. That's just the physical ones that we're talking about. Is, is there a change <clears throat> in sexual dysfunction throughout your, your female reproductive cycle, for Absolutely. instance? Absolutely. And so, I do think uh, that's from what young to older. She started with that. You start off with not knowing how to do this. And it's a chore that you have to do. And then as you get comfortable in your relationship with yourself, being a more mature woman, you start exploring your um, your sexuality more and enjoy the act, okay? But in this period can be your other reproductive illnesses, which is endometriosis, um, PCOS, etc., etc., And also we mustn't forget when women give birth, sometimes they need to be cut in their vagina or on their vagina to release, if you get normal birth. We That's call it the episiotomy. And that can be painful as well. So in our practice... It's just, it's just, uh, when we stitch it together, it forms a scar. It forms a scar, yes. That we've been treating in our practice as well with certain um, we'll, we'll treatment go, options. We'll go into that. And yeah. But then um, as you be comfortable with your sexuality in your relationship, etc., etc., that's a few years that that can go on. And then you reach menopause. Which, which, where do you find sexual dysfunction most? In menopause or in perimenopause, Elise? Menopause. Menopause? Yeah. Perimenopause is more, now and again I have the dryness, now and again I have a urinary tract infection. Now and again, I have a thrush infection. But in menopause, that's a condition that is, I want to say the incidence is 90% in these women. That's what we see in our practice, where you have the dryness and then the thin, um, the atrophic vaginal mucosa. They don't moisturize, lubricate as they should. They are more prone to urinary tract infections, more prone to to tearing of the vaginal mm, mucosa, mm. and that needs treatment as well. And that is the part, time in a woman's life where she's so comfortable with herself, and then this happens. But also, I think when it comes to perimenopause and menopause, one of the things that we need to understand is that there's hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Testosterone starts declining. Um, so estrogen just, starts just declining. explain why testosterone is so important, specifically in the perimenopause and menopausal time. What does testosterone I, I do? was going to ask you that question because yesterday we were sitting and discussing uh, an article mm -hmm. um, yeah. that you came about. What was the, what was the title? It's the 2023 Practitioner's Toolkit for Treatment of Menopause. Hmm. Okay, 
And you know what we've always said, and Simpia, we've said it, said it a couple of times on, on our shows, that women forget that they actually make more testosterone in the ovaries than what they make estrogen. Yes. Um, for one specific reason. Testosterone, most of your estrogen, your estradiol, which is um, E2, comes from testosterone through a process called aromatization. So as your testosterone level starts declining, you make less estrogen. Testosterone is also released during ovulation. Mm -hmm. And if you're not ovulating regularly anymore because you don't have sufficient eggs. Remember, women are born with a set finite number of eggs. Yes. Unlike men <clears throat> who continuously make sperm, women are born with a, a, a number of egg cells and that's it. One, once they're done or once they um, have been, what do I want to call it, hatched? <laughs> <laughs> Once they've matured, that's a mark. Incubated. <laughs> once they have been released, let's call it that way. Once, once they have released from the ovary, it's done. And if you're not ovulating, you don't make testosterone, which means that your estrogen levels goes down. Mm -hmm. Now, testosterone drives sexual function. Yes. So a decline in testosterone is obviously going to lead to lower libido and lower sex drive. And then the estrogen deficiency starts kicking in. And this leads to the moodiness and the irritability and, you know, the vaginal dryness and people just don't feel comfortable in themselves. You know, but then if you don't feel comfortable in yourself, if you gained a little bit of weight and you don't feel sexy anymore, obviously your self-esteem diminishes. So, you know what, I, I, I'm a little like a bit self- It's chicken and the egg, no pun intended. One doesn't know. The cock and the egg. <laughs> <laughs> which, which one comes first? One doesn't know. We can just physiologically think that if the testosterone levels decline, estrogen decline, and then all these other issues comes into play. Self-esteem, um, thoughts and fantasies, all of those things. I wish I knew before I went into menopause how to counter this. Decline. Yeah. You know what, Elise, it's a, you make a point that speaks to the core of why I started the tea clinic mm -hmm. so many years ago. And it was as we get into our late 40s, our 50s, um, you know what, we in the prime of our lives, yeah. um, from a career perspective, from a financial perspective, et cetera, et cetera. You brought up the kids, they're usually out of a house, they adversity, et cetera, et cetera. This is the time of your life where you and your partner should be running around the house naked playing boo-boo the whole time. Why? Because for such a long time, you didn't have that freedom. Your responsibility was towards the children, towards your career, et cetera, et cetera. And now you come into that point in your life where 
you know what, I have everything that I need, but my functioning is starting to decline. That's an important word, functioning. That's why I started the tea clinic, to restore optimal functioning, to create spontaneity in relationships again. Because this is the time when you you actually need to cultivate the relationship after all the damage that it suffered for your children and your career. And you know what? I think that is what made the tea clinic so incredibly successful because it became a word of mouth um, for for patients. One of the things that I, I really think we need to to just touch on is the psychological Absolutely, uh, yeah. impacts of, of life. And here I'm thinking abuse. Prior abuse, absolutely. Um, especially, I think, if you were younger, rape victims often have sexual dysfunction. Um, it's a negative connotation. You do not want to repeat that. Um, I, I think... Uh, emotional abuse from from family members or partners, bullying, um, can also lead to uh, psychological issues yeah. that relates to sex. I, you know what, which I label a sexual dysfunction. <clears throat> Something important is sex information mm-hmm. that can lead to sexual dysfunction. Um, we just touched on it some peewee when we started this talk now. And I had a talk with the girls in the office, actually, not yesterday, the day before. And in the conservative African um, ethnic groups, sex is not talked about. And I mean in the Afrikaans culture as well. I don't know if it has changed. In my my immediate family, I made a change. I spoke to my children about this often. But in in the conservative c- cultures, girls doesn't know anything about sex. On the day of their wedding, then the old aunties will get together and start talking about what sex is what, about. What is expected of exactly. them. Exactly. So information. Nowadays, I think with social media and the web and whatever – Lots of information is available. Yes, I, I, I hear what you say, but you know what? Um, we, we spoke about it uh, on one of the shows as well. The absolutely distorted vision young people have of sex through television. Yeah. Uh, Television alone. Yes. You know what? It's amazing that you see a love scene and these people who sleep together for the very first time have multiple spontaneous orgasms uh, and um, orgasms at the same time. Yeah. You know what? And that's where the other thing that comes in is then your sexual skills. You doubt yourself when you go into the act. Because of what has been proper propaganda on the TV, etc. Yeah, I'm thinking specifically of porn. Yeah. Um, the kind of porn that's out there is not soft porn, it's hardcore porn. Yeah. And you know what? Those people are professionals and it's an act. Absolutely. So it comes back to what Simpiwe said, is that initially it's a chore. You don't have skills. It's 
absolutely a learned experience for females. While males can have an erection, wank and have an orgasm. Women can't do that. They need to train their physical side how to reach an orgasm. And if you don't do that properly, it can lead to sexual dysfunction or pain disorders. Absolutely. Okay. So one of the other things that um, we need to chat about, I think, is the cause of sexual dysfunction because of sexual dysfunction in the partner. Um, We know that if a a guy struggles with uh, erections, whether it's because of medication or a physical condition or something like that, it very often causes sexual dysfunction in the partner. The biggest cause of sexual dysfunction is sexual dysfunction in a partner. Because, you know what, um, I think for women, if the male is withdrawing from sex because of erectile dysfunction, which is embarrassing for him, Uh he's going to start avoiding it. And what we so often see in is if a guy can't get it up and can't perform, women often go to two places. Number one, he doesn't find me attractive anymore. (laughs) Shower. (laughs) That's what you said. The hand shower. Absolutely. Not the electric toothbrush. (laughs) Mine's called Gerard, by the way. (laughs) Oh, now that's the bunny. You guys have me off my topic. <laughs> what was I saying? Okay, so women often goes to, uh, or often go to a the shower. point where <laughs> stopped that now. So um, he doesn't find me attractive. So his self-esteem mm-hmm. starts suffering. And the second one is, if he's not getting it from me, he must be getting it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Now it causes a problem. Now there's doubt, suspicion, and the whole relationship suffers, not only the sexual relationship. And and this is something that we need to remember. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest problems is that partners don't talk um, to each other about what works and what doesn't work. Sexual dysfunction. You know what? I'm, I'm having trouble at work, mm-hmm. you know, but we under financial difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, uh, this is a priority for me, but you know what, I feel embarrassed because it's not working. I feel like as if I cannot satisfy you mm-hmm. from a male perspective. Please understand, let's work around that. And guys, um, you know what, there's so much more to sex than just penetration. Um you can have a very fulfilling sex life. And some of our patients do, but they can't penetrate. They can't get erections. But they can still satisfy their partners through oral stimulation, toys, um, uh, you know what, fetishes, kink, what, whatever. Um, it's not just 
the physical act of penetration. It's for procreation. Yes, absolutely, it's essential. Well, it's partly essential. Um, But I I think that communication is definitely lacking. And and with that, I want to add, if you don't communicate during the act or even after the act, you, you won't find out if your partner's technique is satisfying for you. If you know what I'm trying to say, you have to, you have to say this is this works for me or this doesn't work for me. You do know that men hate backseat drivers. <laughs> <laughs> it's their problem. <laughs> we problem. don't like being given directions. <laughs> <laughs> but that can lead to to withdrawal from the say. Either partners, male, female, whatever. No, you know what? Absolutely. Okay. So before we go into what we can do, shall we recap Mm -hmm. sexual dysfunction? Yes. Sexual dysfunction in my mind is anything that causes a decrease in sexual satisfaction, whether it is physical, whether it's emotional, whether it is uh, due to medical conditions, due to medication. This is the one that we haven't touched on, Absolutely. Elise. The use or, of or medication. Abuse. Absolutely, drugs. You know what? I think if we look at today's society, some people where you still go to clubs, etc., yes. etc. Et um, is drug drug use still a big thing? I don't know what the people I party with, <laughs> um, but I think it still is. I mean, the club scene is still popping. It's still vibrant and it hasn't changed, you know. Do you, do a group of single girls go out manhunting? Not my friends, but yes, <laughs> what we've seen on the internet um, where ladies will go to various places in order to find a rich man <laughs> or for they, 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 to they get drinks. their rocks off. Yes. Um, and so I think for me, what I've seen is like a lot of alcohol abuse. You know, it's it's almost uh, normal now to just always have a drink every other day. And then like on weekends get super sloshed because that's how we kind of like, oh, yeah, like it's a Saturday. If you're not drinking, then what's wrong with you? And so that's also part of the thing where you're constantly out with friends, constantly drinking, and not like one or two glasses. You get hammered. You okay, get so blackouts. On even. that point, <laughs> um, you know what, um, Magaluf, do you know what Magaluf is or where Magaluf is? No. Magaluf is in Spain. Oh, okay. And that's where all these British Euro trash um, go for their summer holidays and it's one big piss up and one big orgy um and you know what i remember many many years ago i was heading up um um hiv clinic called vuzubantu and it was the first clinic in south africa to provide free antiretrovirals to the community and um it was at that point uh sponsored by Seduction, which is a um, uh, non-government organization from France that worked on this. And I was sitting um, one evening, and sorry, it sounds like I'm dropping names. We were sitting at the French ambassador and we were having a discussion on the 
effect that free antiretrovirals had on society. And prior to 2000, the highest incidence of HIV infection was amongst gay men, men that slept with men. But that changed very rapidly when free antiretrovirals became available worldwide or um, specifically amongst young heterosexual affluent people um, because they had access to drugs and alcohol. They went out and they literally just fucked around. Um, and the incidence of this skyrocketed. So social norms, I think, definitely we need to group into yeah. what causes sexual dysfunction. Absolutely. So Elise, um, <clears throat> 20 minutes left. Let's talk about treatment for sexual dysfunction. Where do we start? Do we start with a hypersexual desire disorder or do we start with the physical conditions? I think we must start with a hypersexual um, desire disorder because that's most of our patients that we see comes in complaints about low libido, no sex drive, etc. And you don't need biochemistry blood tests to confirm that condition. You just listen to the symptoms of, the, of this patient and you can make a diagnosis on that. And you can start the treatment with testosterone. So it was very interesting in that article that, uh, what was the handbook? Not What was it? The Practitioner's, Practitioner's Guide. Um, where they said that all women that go into the perimenopausal period needs testosterone. Yeah. For me, it, it, you know, but this is something that I deal with on a daily basis. And it's something that um, in our practice, we practice. Yeah. You know what? We, we put our women on testosterone because we understand the necessity thereof, not just on sexual dysfunction, but on overall health, especially for us on uh, cognitive behavior, you know, with motivation, um, drive, uh, besides the fact that it can increase or will increase your libido and your sex drive, the great effect that it has on maintaining muscle mass, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that for me was news. Now, the moment that we said that, let's say that women perimenopause, which starts from about, what, 45? 45, 45 yeah. Um, need testosterone. I want, I, I want to raise 7 million red flags. Um, Testosterone is freely available. You get it at any gym, on the street corner, outside of a gym, online, but you never know what you're getting. And please, um, if you're going to embark on this journey, uh, you know, it, it is something that you need to discuss with your medical practitioner. Um, testosterone has incredible benefits, but it can also have side effects. We had a patient in our office, what was it, on Tuesday? Yeah. 30-year-old girl. She's a girl. She's absolutely a girl. But if she talks behind you, she sounds like a boy. Her voice is lower than mine. I was actually quite jealous. <laughs> um, 
I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm practicing every morning. So, um, even the way she walks, and she's using testosterone for bodybuilding. Now, she doesn't look like an Eastern European shot put uh, athlete, but you know what? You can see that she's firm. She's muscular. She's a little bit bigger than I think most women would like to be. But she carries it off. Mm-hmm. You know, she's incredibly confident. And she said to us that she's been to so many different doctors and all of them have just said to her, please, we don't want to help you. Please go somewhere else. Um, and, you know, for so many years she's been using testosterone that she so don't know. So, yeah. She, uh, she didn't know where it came from. She got it online or at the gym. And um, she was injecting doses that I don't even give to my men, not knowing that she's doing too much. So, you know what, testosterone is a powerful tool when it comes to sexual functioning. But that was not her purpose of taking testosterone. No, that wasn't her purpose, but I'm pointing it out to the women that that's going into perimenopause or that do battle mm-hmm. with hypersexual desire disorder. It is a powerful tool, but it's definitely not a tool that you can use on its own. Mm. So, you know, you have a hammer, but, you know, but that hammer can do what? Hammer fins? Uh, you need the nails. You need all the other stuff to make this hammer actually do its work. So um, what else would we factor in there? Hypersexual desire disorder. Maybe we should consider… And hormone balancing. I mean, we, it's not only about testosterone. No, it's, it's a, not. It's also about your estrogen levels. That as well as progesterone. As well as progesterone levels that needs to be in balance and then optimized to address this. We need to under, uh, also address the causes of hypersexual desire yeah. disorder. Now, this can be psychological. Mm-hmm. Patients with depression and anxiety, um, the medication that they are taking for these conditions lead to low libido. It suppresses sexual, sexual functioning. It also leads to changes in the vaginal mucosa and flora, Elise. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which, which is a, a big consequence. Um, you know what? Other causes, thyroid issues. Absolutely. Diabetes. Hmm. Cardiovascular disease. Um, so Low iron. Uh, absolutely. Iron. Uh, again, it's related to your thyroid, thyroid. or energy. Yeah. Um, if we look at the physical conditions, if there's pain... Where is the pain? Is it pain with penetration because of a lack of lubrication? Is it pain deeper along the the vaginal canal? Is it the cervix? Is it the bladder? Is it the rectum? Is it the ovaries? Yeah. Um, all of that. If it's if it's uncomfortable, you are going to shy away from it, causing. A low libido. Mm -hmm. So I understand now when you're saying low libido is the the biggest cause of sexual dysfunction. 
but I actually wonder if for people that looked at low libido factored in what causes the, physical, the low libido. Yeah, side of it. Yeah. And that is what we need to address. Yeah. Um, Simpiwe, have you ever heard of anorgasmia? No. No, Anorgasmia no, no. is a woman's inability to, to achieve an orgasm. Oh, now so that's a like that's an actual yes. Like it's not just someone saying, "Oh, I just can't get an orgasm. Try something yes. else." I have. We have treated women in our practice who, at the age of fifty-seven, after three kids, have never had an and orgasm in her life. Marriage. Never had an orgasm in her life. And you know what, if you're just playing without the prize at the end, oh my God, you know what, I think that's a bit boring. Mm -hmm. It's quite sad as well. It is sad. But you know what, now understand a woman who's in a relationship, a young girl, and it's usually young girls with anorgasmia. Okay. Uh, a girl in the prime of her reproductive years with a hot boyfriend or hot partner, they're having sex and you know what? It's just, this guy's just humping away. I'm not, you know, I'm not deriving any pleasure out of this. It leads to sexual dysfunction. Vaginism. Elise, it's something that I think is completely underdiagnosed. There was a case study that I read yesterday about this woman who was seen by endocrinologists, gastroenterologists, urogynecologists, urologists. They've done cystoscopies. They've done biopsies. They have done laparotomies. They have done... um, um, sexual behavioral uh, therapy. And you know what? She was so tight. She had a child. And um, after the child, for eight years in a relationship, she could not have penetration. It was too painful. Eventually, her husband divorced her. And someone had the werewolf to realize after they couldn't find anything wrong with her. This is a spasmodic problem. It's so they couldn't even do a, 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 a digital examination. So they couldn't get a finger in to do a smear or to do oh. a pulp- palpation or anything like that. We need to relax these muscles and they use Botox. And Within 24 hours, this woman could urinate. Oh, one of the things that she kept on presenting with was recurrent urinary tract infections. That's why they did the cystoscopies and stuff. Because it was so constricted and in such a spasm that she couldn't empty her bladder completely. So urine kept collecting in the bladder. So... If you have one of these pain conditions where it is painful, there are options, very safe options, non-surgical options. Elise does so many of them uh, per week where you use just a tiny little bit of Botox on on an area that the woman reports, ow, that's that's sore. Hmm. So, you know what, again, her sexual pleasure is gone sexual dysfunction 
And the moment that we release that spasm, whether it's in an episiotomy scar or whether it was post-procedure, a hysterectomy or something like that, this can help. Um, Elise, I want us to talk a little bit about rejuvenation treatments. Uh, one of the things I think that uh, also causes sexual dysfunction is urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence. Absolutely, yes. Um, we can go back to PRP where we do rejuvenation of the vaginal wall. Just explain a little bit. PRP is platelet-rich plasma where we draw your own blood and re-inject it into the area that needs help. I just want to reiterate, this this treatment takes time. Uh, it's rejuvenation. It's, it's rejuvenation. you rebuilding. Up, up to nine months, then you will only see the effect of these. And in men, it's different. But in women, it's really rejuvenation of cells, blood vessels, and nerve nerves. tissue. Nerve tissue. It takes up to nine months. So... I have another patient that I've seen this week and she came back for her yearly update on her PRP in the vagina and she is over the moon. She's a 63-year-old woman and she sexually functioning perfect. We, when she started with us, she had real problems with dryness and lubrication and sore. She also had a bit of incontinence, if I'm And not incontinence, mistaken. exactly. Yeah. So, and, and it's now about a year and a half that she's our patient, two but years. But how many she's PLP sessions did she have so during that? So initially we did three. Um, once a month. Once a month, and then a follow-up a year later, and then this is a second follow-up, okay. one, one this procedure. Is, this is platelet-rich plasma treatment is also one of the best treatments for people with decreased sensitivity, anorgasmia specifically. Hmm. <clears throat> the first woman that I treated with PRP um, was the woman that I referred to. Three children, married for over 30 years, uh, never had an orgasm. <clears throat> we did a first treatment for her. Um, she also complained a little bit about um, stress incontinence. So if she laughed or she jumped or something like that, there was a bit of leakage. She came back after a month and I asked her, is there any change? Uh, you know, but nothing that I can notice. I'm, I'm, st I'm still not having an orgasm. And I said to her, <clears throat> how's the incontinence? She stopped and she had the surprise look on her face and said, hey, actually, I don't have to rush to the bathroom every time that I go to the mall. This, oh, my God. You know what? It's improved. So we did the second treatment for her. And she came back a month later. And I said to her, and? She said, she, she literally kissed me and she said to me, I've had the first orgasm wow. in my life through penetration. It was mind-blowing. Give me another one. I want to. I, now I want to know what the multiple orgasm is like. And four months later, she came back and she said to me, you know what? My husband and my relationship has gone from good to beyond believable. We're having sex. It's I enjoy. I initiate sex because it's nice. So 
we, we, there are treatments available, natural treatments, your body's own remedies. You just have to have a guts to actually stand up and mm. say, it's not as good as I want it to be. Or it's not as good as it should be. It's no longer as good as it used to be. Mm. Can you help me? Okay, so Piwi, you've given me the lasso. Elise, um, you know, because we didn't prepare specifically, we had news from Alison this morning. Um, we ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to give us a quick summary of... I of just want to, to say something else regarding this. And I don't think women think about this as, as well. If you do not initiate the sexual act, you have sexual dysfunction. And that will have an impact on your partner as well. So it doesn't need to be every single time. No. But if you don't feel the urge to initiate from time to time, is that what you refer to? It's also sexual dysfunction, yes, because… But you know what… It, when you say that, sorry that I interrupt you. Etienne Cook, you know him. Yeah. He's, he was one of my mentors. And he was a sexologist with a surname Cook. Um, <laughs> and he said something. A man's penis is the barometer of a relationship. If a penis is not working, the relationship is not working. So can we flip it around and ask this? If you are not sexually attracted to your partner, that can lead to sexual dysfunction. I'm not going to initiate because I actually can't stand you. Yeah. I love you, but I can't stand you. No, but it can't be that only. I mean, it's about the um, taboo about sex, your skills, and that's why women will not initiate sex because of the rejection maybe that she will feel. So I I don't know men that reject sexual advances, <laughs> okay, but I, I I hear what you say. No, if he maybe these relationship issues or whatever that there can be rejection, and that's why women will, will not initiate. Some women will not initiate. I do do come on! I'm going to ask you guys <laughs> this: Have you ever used sex as a weapon? No. Withholding sex? No. 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 So if but you want it, you want it. Yeah. Yes. If he wants it and if you're not in the mood, what then? You give it. You never say no. Yeah, but I, then I, the I, chat I, Elise, becomes, I, I, uh, like I've heard guys be like, uh, but I don't. I disagree I, with you. I don't want you to just do it because you're doing it I, for the sake they, of I, for I me. absolutely disagree with you because I see that as sexual coercion or even sexual abuse. I specifically said that because I wanted you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have to be honest. I take issue with that. If sex is an obligation, um, but you must it's remember fine. It's okay. If you feel it's an obligation, it's okay. But if it's non-consensual, you're being raped. Absolutely. So, and speak out. Then you're in the wrong relationship yeah, with the wrong person. No one can force you to, to consent or to give something that is not what you want at that point. And it's your body in time. Okay. Um, Cecilie, thank you. Yes, summary okay. from your side. 
So, female sexual dysfunction is real. It's so real that nearly half of all women experience female sexual dysfunction. Educate yourself. There is somewhere, somebody that will be able to help you. Doesn't matter. It takes time to find out what is the cause of the sexual dysfunction. But we know about it. We see it every day in our practice and we find a way to solve the problem. So feel free to talk to people about it that you trust and contact us. We the number? 010-824-1393. Okay. And if you want to, you can follow us on our social media pages, Instagram, Facebook, um, the T-Clinic website, www.vtclinic.com. Next week, we will be in studio. Do I dare say this? (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we'll be in studio with Dr. Sean Thornley. And he's joining uh, Sister Elisa and myself to talk about male health, seeing that November is about men's health. Join us next week. And until then, we wish you all the best in sexual health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.